0: Jonathan Jonathan's going to lead us in our scripture reading it's from the book of 1st John and then we'll move toward the word in the table beloved let us love one another because love is from God everyone who loves is born of God and knows God whoever does not love does not know God for God is love beloved since God loved us so much we also ought to love one another No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. As he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. Well, I'm going to use this mic today just to uh, hopefully cut down on some of the wind noise. Uh, And so that will keep me from moving myself around as much as I like to, but that's probably good for everybody involved. Um, Well, as we move into our time of the Word throughout this Easter season, we've been talking about this idea of the Christ self rising in us that all of us have a false self all of us have this part of our lives this way of being in the world that is estranged and alienated from god and uh, of course i mean that in the sense of like we just rely on ourselves and we just rely on protecting ourselves and preserving our lives and promoting ourselves and 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 so there's two ways of being in the And we gather here not merely to think about the next life, but primarily, in fact, to think about this life, to think about how we might be changed into the likeness of Christ so that as he is, so we will be In the world and so God longs to enthrone that kind of truth the truth of who we were made to be who we were created to be inside of our hearts and we've been looking at this entire uh, semester at those words from uh, st. Chrysostom that if we find the door to our own heart we will find it to be the kingdom the door to the kingdom of God but before the kingdom of Christ can reign in our heart, our hearts are like the command and control center of the false self right? And so uh, we've been describing the false self. I want to continue putting words around it so that you can imagine and maybe spot what this might look like in your own life. And so as we go through this, uh, I want to encourage you to just consider where is your false self at play in the circumstances, situations, and relationships of your life? If we could only say one thing about the false self, we would say that it's a fearful self, It's a fearful self, which is why today's scripture reading is so important that perfect love drives out fear. Because fear, an identity of fear is an antithetical identity to the identity of a child of God. The identity of a child of God is, is the opposite of an identity of fear. And to the extent that we are living in fear, we are living under constant threat, we are living uh, uh, afraid of others and what they may take from us, what they may do to us, what they may think of us, how they may judge us. But we're also living in fear of God because we tend to create God in our own image. And so if we are a fearful self, we are in that punishment matrix, we assume God must be also. And so we're worried all the time that God may punish us. And so uh, the fearful false self, the motto of that fearful self is like, I don't want to be scattered, right? It's the Tower of Babel identity. And so I want to ask you this morning to continue reflecting on where fear may be calling the shots for you. When we're living in fear, we tend to then try to meet our own needs. We take and we grasp to... Get what we think we need because we're not convinced that God will actually provide for us. And all that taking leads to shame. We know deep down there's a better way. So now we are taking and we are hiding. And we're sowing the fig leaves. We're running from God. We're justifying. And we've lost our center of joy in God's presence. So we start looking for joy in other places. So in addition to the fearful self, the false self is an indulgent self. It needs to take more and more and more to mask the shame that it feels. And that would be destructive enough if it was just happening in my life. But the bigger problem is that pretty much everything that happens in this life is one false self pinballing off of another false self. Right? When we come to church, it's one false self pinballing against 80 other false selves. And so we should not be surprised then that sometimes, uh, sometimes that gets a little messy. right? Because if I am trying to leverage my life over and against your life, I become self-referenced. I start seeing you as the it's that orbit around my eye. Right? and I'm at the center of the universe and you are there to meet my needs and I come into your life with an agenda or I come into church with an agenda or I come into work with an agenda or I come into the relationship with an agenda and when the other person doesn't cooperate so much strife and envy and anger, it's you against me then, I need categories to make myself the winner. And I don't need to not only have like the right idea, the right perspective, I need to have the righteous perspective. And we see this all over our world in social media and otherwise that it's not just enough to have an opinion on something. My opinion has to be more righteous than your opinion. And my image has to be more impressive than your image. And my accomplishments have to mean more than your accomplishments. It's not just that they have to mean something, they have to mean more than yours or else I take no pleasure in them. And so it's not hard to see how we become self-promoting selves. We take up the mantle of the Tower of Babel. Let us build a tower that reaches to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. And the only thing messier than the false self is the religious false self. Because the religious false self wants to not only build a tower, it wants to build a tower to God on its terms. And so when we have a false self, we must be aware of the temptation and the tendency to then insulate our false self with a layer of spirituality that actually uses God to run from God. And we insulate ourselves with Christian cliches or with good religious words, but we actually are using it as a protective mechanism from God actually getting to know our hearts. And so when we add the God layer, now we've introduced even more manipulation and we certainly see that as well in our world today the false self using religious language but actually estranged from god and in the midst of all of this jesus invites the christ self to rise in us and we've been going through this pattern of how does that actually play out how does it play out We follow the pattern of the life of Jesus. He goes into the wilderness of control, the wilderness of Lent, the wilderness of temptation. And there he learns to let go and to be detached to the will of his Father. And then he parades, the kingdom comes into the other kingdoms that try to rule the the, the places of our heart, the kingdom of our heart. The kingdom of love arrives in the kingdom of fear with a better word, a better gospel. And it speaks to us a better news that awakens our hearts but it comes also like a confrontation and like a threat so the first step is control the second step is confrontation the third step that we're going to look at today is the cross because when god's kingdom of love comes into our kingdom of fear we are invited into a new life but that new life comes through the cross And so let me give you a vignette of the false self, okay? Uh, It it sounds like this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and declared, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. So uh, we just stop right there, right? The false self in play. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, grant that one of us may sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory, right? So we see them using God for the sake of self-promotion, for the sake of their own glory. And Jesus' response is this, you do not know what you... When you come into your glory, when did Jesus actually come into his glory? On the cross. And who was on Jesus' left and his right as he came into his glory? The thieves hanging on the cross next to him. And so what we see then is that the glory of Jesus is always cross-shaped. It's why we opened our service this way. And if we want to keep company with him in his glory, then we should expect that that will involve some sort of dying. Because Jesus says, he who wants to be my disciple must take up his cross and follow me, and he who tries to save his, lo- his life will lose it, but he who loses his self for my sake We'll find it. And so spiritual formation then is always cruciform in nature. To quote uh, Robert Mulholland, who's been one of our guides throughout this process, he says that a dying is involved in our growth toward wholeness. It's a cross upon which we lose our old self with its bondages and its brokenness. And our brokenness then is not just the sweater we take off when we decide it no longer works or it's no longer what we want. It is intrinsic to who we are, and that's why Jesus says you must lose yourself. Because it is the self we know. It is the self we live out of by default. And make no mistake, to lose ourselves feels like dying and is in fact a form of dying. And so it's easy to say, I've been crucified with Christ. That's, that's a great scripture to say. But are we aware of the sting of it? Like, have we actually thought through what it means to take up the cross? Of the way of jesus the pain that inevitably accompanies that and the fact that jesus doesn't say just i'll do that for you but he says take up your cross and follow me and when we take up the cross It is ultimately the loss of all other identities that have previously defined us. It is the rejection of the false self. In fact, it is the death of the false self because as we come into that cruciform posture of Jesus, the good word of his identity is spoken over us and we can leave those old identities behind. And so taking up the cross then, it's not just a matter of dealing with life's annoyances, it's not that when the traffic happens. It's not your noisy neighbor or your annoying coworker. The cross is coming into Christlikeness by submitting to the way of Jesus at the points that we are unlike Christ. And that entire fear and punishment matrix of the false self dies at that point and a new reality is born in Christlikeness. And so the principle for this morning, And I'll start moving us toward the table here in just a moment. I know it's hot. The principle for this morning is this, and what I want you to hear is this, that our home is in the front gate to that home is cross-shaped. If we want to enter into the country of Christ, we come in cross-shaped. Because Jesus says, I am the gate. And the very way of Jesus, from the very beginning, from before the foundations of the world, the Lamb was slain. And so we come to Jesus, and it's what we saw at baptism last week. We had eight individuals baptized last week. They've been crucified with Christ, buried with him in baptism, and risen with him into newness of life. And that's what happens at baptism, but it's also what happens throughout our lives. We all have many baptismal experiences. And I don't mean that doctrinally. I mean that in the sense of like being brought again, brought afresh into the death of Jesus for the sake of newness of life coming. And so for each area of unchristlikeness, Jesus comes and he knocks on the door of the false self And he wants to come into our hearts to dwell as the crucified one at the core of our hearts. He wants to share a meal with us there. That is what God's presence in our lives does. But there is a cross that exists for us there. And it is no small thing to open up to what we know will kill the way of life we are used to. And to let Jesus speak to what he finds inside our hidden hearts. And so let's say a door in your hidden heart is blockaded at this point of of, uh, a long-held resentment. Let's just practice this and imagine for a moment that you have a resentment, an anger, a hostility towards someone who has wronged you. How do you move from the false self and its anger, its judgmentalism, its unforgiveness, its hostility to the Christ self that says, Father, forgive them? How do you do that? We do that by trusting that the way of Jesus knows, what, like Jesus knew what he was talking about. The way of Jesus is, in fact, the way to life and peace. And so we, in faith, forgive the one who has wronged us. That's what it looks like to take up the cross in that situation. And that forgiveness is a death to the false self because the false self will be indignant and offended. Like, how could you ask me, do you know what that person did to me? And to lose yourself in that context is to allow that hostility to die with Christ at that very point. And of course, forgiveness is complex, right? As we use that example, we, we understand that forgiveness never excuses, it never minimizes or enables abuse. It never sets aside justice. But forgiveness is a way of not allowing the real wounds that have happened in the past to have the final word. And so the moment you touch that door, You hear Christ knock, You and his cruciform nature enables you to love, and Christ's love allows you to heal, to forgive the one who has wronged you until the bitterness is flushed away, the door has opened, the king has come, the Christ self has risen in that area. What does it look like to apply that? in the areas of our lives. And so to lose ourselves and to take up the cross, it is a real death. And for a while we will experience that as being in the grave. There's no way to make it sound pleasant. It hurts because it is a real loss. But being brought low into the grave of that loss is like the anti-babel. It is like saying, I give up the quest to build the big tower, to be impressive, to make it on my own, to reach the heavens for my purposes, and instead it is to be baptized into the lowness that shakes us deeply out of our self-referenced life that we might actually depend on the better word of grace. And it's how the Christ self is born in us. Adele Calhoun says it this way, that through many small crucifixions, the life of Christ is born in us. So I'm going to invite Stephen to come up here, and he's going to play this beautiful-sounding pad on the keyboard that I found out this morning involves him touching actually only one key on the keyboard, but he's going to touch it with like a lot of uh, a lot of skill. There it is. <laughs> I love it. And now with this uh, this behind us, let's just take a moment and let's just practice what we're talking about. Ultimately, we don't engage in this to have more head knowledge, more information, but that we might have formation in our hearts. And so I'll invite you to consider, as we draw toward the end of our Easter journey, we've got one more week in Easter next week, and then we move into the season of Pentecost. I'll invite you to consider again, where is Jesus inviting the new way of the Christ self to rise in you. And what does it look like for you to conform into that cross shape? Jesus says he is the way and the way is of the cross. Jesus says he is the gate and that gate involves paying a price. And so power Money, relationships, politics, time, sex, work, life agendas. These are the things that become cross shaped as we open our lives to Jesus. And many of a- for an area to be highlighted in your heart where you need to take on the way of the cross right now. Allow the Holy Spirit to highlight something in your life. And then don't whip yourself at that place, but instead bring yourself into the presence of perfect love. And we do that through the practice of confession, because to put on the new life involves putting off the old life. And there is a purging and a pruning and a losing and a letting go of the way of being as we have known it. But as we read in the first week of this whole series, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So take a moment now and in that area that you feel like god's highlighting in your heart bring your confession to jesus of the way you have tried to make it work through your own self And so we conform into the image of the cross and we confess our sin, and then we cooperate with God. We say yes, and we participate in the new way. Often we do this through spiritual practices. And so I'll ask you if there is a particular practice, perhaps a counterintuitive one, to the old way you've done things that will allow you to cooperate with Jesus as he calls the Christ self to rise in you. Jesus, help us conform into the shape of the cross Help us to confess where we have tried to make it work without you and without your way. And help us to cooperate with you, co-labor with you. Not in our effort, but simply saying yes and allowing your spirit to work. And Lord Christ, would you mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it to be none other than the way of life and peace. Amen. So whatever's highlighted in your heart today, the whole point of today and the whole point of us gathering here is to remember and rehearse as the people of God, that we then get to take that back into our lives. And so think of a practice that you might take with you Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, and bring back with you so that what we are hearing from God doesn't stop here, but continues to overflow into the rest of our lives. All right. So in a moment, we're gonna move to the table, but we begin with Christ's peace. As we bring our confession to Jesus, we receive his forgiveness and that speaks a deep word of peace over us. And so then we get to speak that deep word of peace over one another. And so I'll invite you to turn to someone around you and just look at them and say, the peace of Christ be with you.